This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include strong language, mature themes, and description of a character vomiting. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 328. Hello, Metamorphs! Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorphcity.com. Each week, I share a piece of my fiction with you, fresh off the writing desk. I'll also tell you what's new with my life and my writing. So let's get started, shall we? Here is this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 11 of Honor Bound by L.C. Williams. If you're new to the show, don't start here. Go back to Episode 318 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. In last week's episode, Honor Hin Bellevue returned to the debutante's ball after a torrid encounter with Natasha Volkova, one of the guards at Hassan Manor. Honor's prolonged absence raised fears that the girl had been kidnapped, and when she was found with Natasha inside her locked quarters, it meant the guard was in for an uncomfortable debriefing. Natasha explained to her boss, Captain Hansen, how Honor's strange behavior had aroused her suspicions, leading her to believe that the woman was a party crasher and a pickpocket. Unfortunately, Natasha's decision to detain Honor inside her own bedroom has the potential to be deeply damaging if word of it gets out. Natasha's predilection for short, cute, innocent-looking young women is well known around House Hassan, and it doesn't take much imagination to guess what Natasha might want to do to the short, cute, and innocent-looking Lady Honor. Neither Natasha nor Honor has told a soul about their encounter, but that doesn't matter. The appearance of impropriety is enough. Captain Hansen explained to Natasha that even if nothing happened between them, the rumor that Honor was seduced by a house guard could ruin her reputation forever. The nobility are a completely different stratum of society from commoners like Natasha and Hansen. She's better off thinking of them as almost a separate species. If people thought that Honor had sex with someone like Natasha, she would be polluted in the eyes of her own people. Natasha was deeply indignant at the hypocrisy of this. She knows plenty of noblemen who have had sex with commoner women, most often the servant girls in their own households, yet those men were not considered polluted. Hansen insisted this was different, though he wasn't in any mood to explain how. He fired Natasha on the spot, and told her to be gone first thing after breakfast. She's too great a liability. Bitter, angry, and hurting, Natasha hit the showers and went to bed, the words of her abusive father echoing in her ears. You will have no one. You will end up dead in ditch somewhere, and no one will even care enough to bury you. Not today, father, Natasha whispered, as she had many times before. Not today. 
In her bedroom, she found the coil of soft rope she had been planning on using to tie Honor to her bed, before she knew who Honor really was, when it seemed like their sexual adventures might continue. Natasha felt Honor's amulet, still around her neck for safekeeping, spreading a quiet warmth through her chest. She curled up around the coil of rope and dreamed of what might have been. Honor, naked and bound, while Natasha stoked her to the heights of pleasure. Honor Bound The House of Bellevue Book One Written by L.C. Williams Narrated by Vivian Ferrari Chapter Eleven Callers Monday, April 2nd. Honor awoke the next morning to the clinking of porcelain and silverware and Mabel's footsteps on the floor. It was all much too loud. Her head throbbed and her tongue felt fuzzy. She rolled over onto her back and groaned. Good morning, your ladyship, Mabel chirruped. She came bustling over to the window and threw open the curtains, sending a beam of sunlight directly into Honor's eyes. Honor let out a yelp of protest and covered her face with a pillow. Had a nice time at the ball then, did you? The ball? Honor had vague and fragmentary recollections of the ball. She remembered hurriedly eating her dinner before the servants finished clearing the tables, saying goodnight to father and her cousins, then going out to the gardens to find noble Alex and their friends. There had been music and laughter and a light, lovely wine that sparkled on the tongue. Honor had never had it before, and there were servants with whole trays of it who would give her another glass whenever she liked. And then one of Alex's army friends had pulled out a flask of something else and passed it around. What had they called it? Fairy nectar? Magical, or so they claimed. It had burned her sinuses all the way down, but after that the lights had swirled with new colors, and she could feel the music on her skin, and everything had seemed strange and new and wonderful. Mabel sat her up in bed, propping her pillows up behind her. The maid placed an empty basin on the table beside her, along with a carafe of water, then hurried away again. Honor was going to ask what this was for, but then her stomach lurched, and she quickly snatched up the basin and vomited into it. The smell of her own sick seemed to trigger a chain reaction, and Honor bent over and heaved until she felt like she'd emptied half her body. When her stomach quieted at last, she took up the carafe and rinsed and spat, again and again, until the taste was only a fading bitterness on the back of her tongue. Mabel came back, nodded her approval at the mess in the basin. Better out than in, miss. She swapped the full basin for an empty one, then pressed a warm mug into Honor's hands. The liquid inside was yellow-brown and slightly hazy. Honor took a sniff, and the sharp, acidic tang of vinegar burrowed straight into her brain. Here you are, my lady, Mabel said, crinkling a smile at her. An old family remedy. It never fails. Honor was dubious. What is it? Her voice came out hoarse and scratchy. One part apple cider vinegar, one part willow bark tea, 
Two parts green tea, pinch of salt, Mabel said proudly. Sort you out right quick, it will. Honor took a sip, winced. It tasted even worse than it smelled. She wondered if the stuff might actually kill her. But since death seemed preferable to what she was experiencing at the moment, she held her nose and drank it all down. Afterward, she grabbed the water again and rinsed out this new offense to her taste buds. There you are, Mabel soothed. Now then, I've got a nice breakfast all laid out for you. Be sure to eat all the eggs, all right, dearie? It'll help you get your strength up. Honor mumbled something incoherent in response. She clambered out of bed, went to the washroom down the hall, and attended to the necessities. Brushing her teeth helped to clear her mouth of the lingering vileness, and she scrubbed her face to clear off last night's makeup, which had smeared and smudged in some alarming ways. She patted herself dry, rubbed in some soothing lotion, and felt almost human again. Breakfast was a heavy affair, with eggs and sausage and fried potatoes, along with canned peaches and syrup. Honor could only eat about half of it. Still, by the time she pushed back her plate, she did feel noticeably better. Perhaps there was something to Mabel's old family remedy after all. There was no sign of Lord Bellevue or the cousins in the apartment. Honor asked her father's valet about it, and he told her the men had gone to a senator's house for luncheon, with a tour of Metamore Keep to follow. Evidently, the political maneuvering of the season was already in full swing. Honor herself was not expected to make any appearances today. For the debutantes, this was a day to send out calling cards to anyone they might wish to see more of. In the coming days, Honor could expect to receive invitations to afternoon teas, dinner parties, and other social events. But for today, she and the servants had the house to themselves. Honor attended to her calling cards immediately after breakfast. Lord Bellevue had ordered a set printed for her a month prior to the trip, and they were truly lovely, with Honor's name engraved next to the coat of arms of House Bellevue. The reverse side listed the dates that the Bellevues would be in town, the address of the apartment, and the days and times during the week when Honor expected to be at home to receive guests. She took a stack of the cards to her writing table, along with a fountain pen and a separate sheet of stationery, where she would compose a list of the people to whom the cards should be delivered. Noble Alex's name went at the top of the page, and then she racked her brains to remember the names of all the other debutantes she had met. Lady Delphinia's name did not go on the list, but Honor did include the names of her four associates— in case any of them should reconsider the sort of company they kept. She handed off the list and the stack of cards to a servant, who would ensure that they were delivered that day. If Honor received a card from someone on her list, then that would mean that the interest in friendship was mutual, and she could make plans to go and see them in person. It was a bright, clear day outside and unseasonably warm, so Honor put on a sundress and went out to the little garden behind the apartment, it was walled in on all sides, and its two small maple trees were still weeks away from having any leaves. However, the crocuses were blooming, the shrubs were sprouting new shoots, and ivy covered the walls in thick carpets of leaves. It was a far cry from the gardens she was used to, but it was something alive and green in this city of brick and steel, and that was enough to give her a little taste of home. 
she moved one of the patio chairs into a little patch of sunlight and sat down with a novel her father had given her. It was the tale of a young man who joined a sailing vessel and went off to seek his fortune, having many improbable adventures along the way. Lord Bellevue had been reading her stories like this since she was a little girl. Tales of exotic and distant lands, of encounters with fantastic beasts and pirates and merfolk and foreigners with strange clothing and stranger customs. Sometimes the heroes were sailors, sometimes soldiers or explorers or aeronauts, but they were always brave and honorable and strong, and it was often the men's loyalty and friendship to one another that helped them carry the day. Mabel fretted that such stories were not very ladylike, but Honor loved them, though she wished that the girls in them would do something more interesting than getting rescued by the men. She had devoured four chapters and was considering starting a fifth when a footman appeared at the door to the garden. He seemed a bit unsettled, so Honor smiled up at him encouragingly. "'What is it, Simmons?' she asked. The footman cleared his throat. Uh, "'There's a woman here to see you, my lady.' Honor nodded. "'May I see her card?' Simmons folded his white-gloved hands in front of him. "'She says she doesn't have one, miss.' He hesitated. "'I told her you were not available, of course, but she was uh, quite insistent.' He swallowed hard, and Honor saw a flash of fear in the man's eyes. Immediately, she understood. Was she a frightfully tall blonde woman who looked as if she could break you in half? Simmons pressed his lips tightly together, but then nodded grudgingly. I will see her, Honor said. Show her in, please. Clearly, Simmons had not been expecting this. He opened his mouth, closed it, opened it again, then covered his mouth and let out a light cough. As you wish, miss, he said, and though he clearly thought Honor had taken leave of her senses, he bowed and went back inside. Honor set the book aside and rose to greet Natasha. The door opened again perhaps a minute later, and the guard stepped into the courtyard. She was not wearing makeup, as she had been last night, but there was still a fearsome beauty about her. She looked tired and troubled, though, and the bags under her eyes suggested she had not slept well. She was dressed not in the livery of House Hassan, but in a slightly rumpled set of olive drab Imperial Army fatigues. The name Volkova was stitched over her left breast, and below that were several service ribbons and medals. Honor recognized one of these as the Order of Valor, which was awarded for acts of exceptional courage in battle— she also noticed that Natasha's arm did not hold a rank insignia, which meant that she had been formally discharged from the service. Her hair was pulled back in a slightly messy ponytail, and she had an army-issue duffel bag slung over one shoulder. That was even stranger. Is she on her way to deliver the laundry for washing? But why put on her army uniform for such an errand? As the door shut behind her, Natasha came stiffly to attention— she gave Honor a deep, formal bow from the waist. Lady Honor, she said, her voice low and even. I come as promised. Honor inclined her head to the woman. Miss Volkova, she said, just as formally. 
She hesitated, her eyes falling on the woman's uniform again. She was deeply curious about what it meant. She tried for a pleasant, neutral smile, but she didn't think it reached her eyes. Natasha crossed the garden and stood about four feet in front of her. She carefully set down her duffel on the paving stones, then unbuttoned the top two buttons of her shirt and pulled out Honor's amulet. The butterfly gleamed and sparkled in the patch of sunlight, the capuchon stone lighting up with streaks of red and green fire. Natasha regarded it thoughtfully for a moment. Last night, she said, my dreams were very strange, very... She frowned as if trying to think of the right word. After a moment, she seemed to give up and shrugged. I do not know if it was magic, but there were people fucking. Much fucking. Honor covered her mouth, stifling a giggle. Natasha's lip turned up at the corner in a half-smile. She extended the necklace to Honor. I should not have called you thief and liar. I am sorry. Honor reached out to take it. Her hand lightly brushed against Natasha's in the process, and the contact sent a delicious shiver running through her. She tried to ignore it. I accept your apology, she said. She drew back her hand and clutched the amulet to her chest. I realize it was a difficult story to believe. I'm sorry if I made things hard for you. Natasha's smile took on an ironic edge. If I am honest, I have made things hard for myself for some time. This was only... only final nail in coffin, I think. Honor felt her eyes go wide. Suddenly she understood the reason for the uniform, the duffel, and the woman's troubled eyes. Oh no! Uh, Natasha, were you sacked? A frown crinkled Natasha's forehead. I lost job, she said. Is that sacked? I do not know this word. Honor sat heavily back down on the chair, a wave of guilt running through her. Any trace of anger she might have still felt toward the woman had evaporated. Oh, goodness, she said, the dismay coming out clearly in her voice. That's terribly unfair. It was a simple misunderstanding, and you were only doing your job. I did not lose job for that, Natasha said. Now Honor was confused. She looked quizzically up at the woman. A touch of color appeared on Natasha's cheeks. It was for what we did after, she said. Honor's jaw fell open. The memory of that encounter came rushing back to her, clear and vibrant against the haze of drinking and dancing that had come later. She felt the warmth rush into her own face. Oh, she said. Natasha nodded once. For that, I do not apologize. I am not sorry it happened. And neither are you, I think. Honor smiled, remembering again the lovely sensations she had experienced under Natasha's hands. No, she murmured. No, I'm not sorry at all. But then she looked up, saw Natasha's uniform again, and her face fell just as quickly. 
Except I'm terribly sorry you got in trouble for it. That's even more unfair. Natasha shrugged. Life is not fair, Lady Honor. For the petty thief, the noose. For the great thief, the castle. She said this like she was quoting a proverb, but it was not one Honor had heard before. The meaning was plain enough, though, and it made her uncomfortable to think about it. What will you do now? she asked. I do not know, Natasha said. I have some money. There is shelter for veterans on east side, I hear. Cheap food and cots. Showers once a week. And there is work if one does not care too much what kind. They say it is crowded, but I think maybe this helps get me in. She gestured up at the ribbons on her chest, then shrugged again. If not, maybe I go back home to Vieshrad, to my father's farm. If I am lucky, old Mudak is dead by now. Oh! Honor was astonished at the idea of a daughter wishing for her father's death. Something truly terrible must have happened between them. But surely you must have friends you could stay with until you are back on your feet? Natasha shook her head. Irene is only one I would call friend, and she has no place to offer. I am not very... Again, the right word seemed to fail her. It is not easy making friends. Honor thought back to last night and her unfortunate encounter with Lady Delphinia and her hangers-on. Yes, she said softly. Yes, I know what you mean. Natasha stepped back and bowed at the waist again. This time she kept her eyes on Honor's face the entire time, and Honor found she could not look away. I will not trouble you any longer, lady. I hope you enjoy your time in city. She shouldered her duffel again and turned to go. As Honor watched her depart, she thought of what noble Alex had said shortly after they met. War costs, Miss Bellevue. Those who go, even if they return unmaimed, they leave a part of themselves behind, and I believe they will need more than a hero's welcome to find it again. She got to her feet. Wait, she said. Natasha stopped in the doorway, turned halfway back toward Honor. Yes, lady? Honor fidgeted, turning the butterfly amulet over and over in her hands. It's just... I know what those ribbons mean. She nodded at Natasha's chest. They mean that you were brave and loyal and true. Like the heroes in my books, she thought. You fought for the Empire when we needed you, and and it isn't right that you have to go and live in a shelter just because of... because of what we did. She looked down at her hands, opened her palm, and studied the butterfly there. We have plenty of beds here. More than we need. House Bellevue isn't as big as it used to be. She looked back up at Natasha, and felt her heart flutter at what she was about to say. I invite you to stay here, as my guest, until you can find good, decent work again. She forced a smile. You can have showers every day, if you like, 
I dare say it will make it easier to make a good impression. Natasha's expression did not change as Honor said all this. She continued watching her with those cool, steady gray eyes. Her mouth was a thin, straight line. She stood almost perfectly still. The moment stretched, and Honor was afraid she had offended the woman, that this offer of charity was an insult to her pride. She opened her mouth to apologize, but then Natasha gave her one firm nod. That is very generous, the woman said, and Honor heard the trembling of suppressed emotion behind the words. Thank you, Lady Honor. I accept. And that's the end of Chapter 11. Come back next time, when Honor introduces Natasha to some of the House Bellevue staff, and her stay at their apartment opens up new possibilities. Chapters of the House of Bellevue will be released once per week for 51 weeks. If you'd like to listen to the story faster, all three books are available now on Amazon and Audible. To learn more about these characters and their world, please visit www. .authorlcwilliams.com Robert Cormier said, The beautiful part of writing is that you don't have to get it right the first time, unlike, say, a brain surgeon. So scrub yourself in and hand me that word, scalpel. It's time for the weekly writing report. This update covers the week of May 7th through May 13th. I wrote 3,017 words this week, over the course of 3.75 hours, for an average writing speed of 805 words per hour. I wrote on 4 out of 7 days this week. This was a slower week for writing than last week, mostly because of busyness at the day job. Still, I did find some time to work on my Alex story, Out of the Shadows. I'm now in Chapter 8, well into the denouement, and I'm trying to decide how much to include after our heroes return from their wilderness adventure. The manuscript is now over 19,000 words. This week I made the decision to suspend my advertising campaign for Metamore City. After a brief spike in sales when I first started the campaign, things fell off sharply, and the Metamore books haven't seen very much activity on Kindle Universe, where House of Bellevue is doing relatively well. I realized that my reduced ad budget was too small to keep running campaigns for both Metamore and House of Bellevue simultaneously. Each campaign was exhausting its daily budget by mid-morning, long before most of the U.S. shoppers were online or making serious buying decisions. That meant that my ads weren't getting served to anyone at the times when they were most likely to do me any good. So I turned off the Metamore campaign and rolled all of that budget back into House of Bellevue. I also increased the prices on all of my ebooks to make the Kindle Universe offering more attractive by comparison, and to give me some room to eventually offer Kindle countdowns and other promotional deals which can generate traffic. I still feel like nothing I'm doing is really working, but on Friday night I got some advice from a fellow author friend on some new things I could try. In the meantime, if you'd like to help me succeed, one of the best things you can do is to rate and review my books on Amazon, Audible, or Goodreads. Every positive review helps get my books in front of more prospective readers. 
Even if you haven't finished The House of Bellevue, reviewing any of my past books is a real help. Special shoutouts to Nathan and Lindby, who left reviews on Amazon, Midnight and Shy, who shared their reviews on Audible, and R.A. and J.H.M., who posted theirs on Goodreads. I'm very grateful to all of you. Now it's time for a look back at Season 7 of The Raven and the Writing Desk, which came to a close at the end of April. I wrote 77,573 words last season, over the course of 124 days, for an average of 626 words per day. That is by far my lowest word count for a season since I started this show. The next lowest was Season 5, when I wrote over 138,000 words in 220 days. There were a number of reasons for the low word count this season, but the biggest one was the unprecedented effort that I put into audiobook production. Starting in May, at the beginning of the season, I pushed hard to get my audiobooks finished and released to market, first with Making the Cut, and then with the Honor Bound trilogy. I've never before produced this much audio this quickly, and it shows in my monthly word counts. This was also a year when I spent a lot of time and attention on the business side of writing. From building the L.C. Williams blog, to setting up the mailing list, to editing books and preparing them for print, there was a lot of writing-adjacent stuff this year that didn't translate into actual writing. Lastly, this season was a time when I rediscovered some beloved recreational activities. I read a lot more books than in previous years— including doing the beta reading for three new books from Abigail Hilton, my writing buddy and one of my all-time favorite authors. I also got back into playing classical piano for my own enjoyment, spending between half an hour and an hour on practice almost every evening. And I returned to computer gaming, rediscovering my love for the Mass Effect series and playing through it from start to finish. None of these activities helped me put words on the page, but they're things that bring me pleasure and satisfaction, and help my brain to rest and regenerate, and that's something I need if I'm going to continue on with the challenging but rewarding work that I'm faced with, both as a scientist and as a writer. Here's hoping that that rest and regeneration pays off for Season 8. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show... Send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255-082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester, the fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2022 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. 
For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.